morning. My name is Kelsey. I am going to read the Bible. We are in Mark this morning, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, is page 1017, and the Bible's in front of you. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Thank you, Kelsey and Andrew. And good morning, everyone. Uh, Nice to be with you. And uh, nice to have you guys watching on online. My name's Scott, if I haven't met you. Um, I know that because it says it on my name tag. And uh, if you haven't got a name tag yet, that's a good thing for you to do um, and um, every week so that people don't have to guess what your name is. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get underway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, these words. And because they're the greatest commands, we want to pay particular attention to them. So help us to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, heart health, cardio health, very important thing, isn't it? And uh, I was recently inspired by a member of this congregation, no less, to train for a half marathon. She came in one Sunday morning at about 9.30 uh, with a race bib or a medal on, somehow related to the Sydney half marathon. And uh, she'd literally run a half, half marathon and was early to church. Now, that's impressive. It means we can all get here by 10 o'clock, doesn't it? 9.30, having run a half marathon. And she didn't look at all flustered or sweaty or spent she made it look so easy i thought i would train for one myself i started slowly from uh, two or three kilometers and i just added a few hundred meters extra every few days trying to be sensible and i I have to admit uh, it never felt good it just felt varying levels of bad and less bad in fact the best bit of going for a run is that when i'd finished i knew that i wouldn't have to go running for another two or three days but I got to about uh, eight kilometres and, um, and, I, and I finished this particular day and I leant forward to push the button to cross over Pitwater Road near my place and something in my lower back just went wrong. And then over the next 24 hours, it moved slowly down into my left buttock. And so now I was hobbling and whenever anybody asks, I was forced to say that I had broken my bum running. And, uh, well, not even running, just I'd broken my bum. And they would often say, well, how did you do that? They would ask. And I would go, well, by pressing, uh, uh, look, I, I really don't want to talk about it at all. <laughs> Very depressing story. Not heroically, by apprehending some armed thugs or coming to the rescue of a damsel in distress. I just went to press a button. That's how it happened. So a very cautionary tale that reminds us that it's good to train your heart, 
but things can easily go wrong. And really, that's what we're thinking about today, training our hearts in helpful rather than hurtful ways. We are, as Nathan uh, indicated, in the second week of our All Your Heart series. Today is really the title track, All Your Heart. And we're attempting to unpack Jesus' great commands, which he borrowed from Moses, you'll remember from last week, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what does it really mean to love God with all your heart? And what even is the heart as far as the Bible understands it? Why is it so important? And how, how might we train it in helpful rather than hurtful ways so that we can love God with all of it? That's what we're thinking about today. But before we work out why the heart is so important in the Christian life, it seems to me we're going to need to work out what the heart actually is. And, uh, you know, uh, our little kind of title slide, it's got this cute little cartoon of the heart organ on a treadmill which I really like. Um, we're obviously talking about something different than cardiology or biology when we're talking about all your heart. And of course, in modern parlance, the heart is synonymous with human emotion, isn't it? Uh, especially romantic love. So the love heart is the symbol of romance, isn't it? And there are going to be love hearts everywhere this coming Tuesday as people spend the contrived celebration that is Valentine's Day by, well, spending. Like at least double for everything. That's what happens on Valentine's Day. In love songs, we're encouraged to listen to our hearts. The late great Baccarat begged his lovers, don't go breaking our hearts. So we always think the, the heart is about emotions and especially love and especially romantic love. But in the introduction to the Godly Habits book, which we're going to talk a bit, bit about this term because it's going to be a real feature of our study this term, the introduction says this. The Bible speaks of the heart as the center of the person in a more complete manner than we normally think. It's the nucleus of personhood, the seat of human will, the decision-making center. In short, the heart is a bigger deal in Scripture than it is even in culture and medicine. It's the nucleus of personhood it's the seat of human will it's the decision-making center in his excellent book you are what you love the author james smith describes the heart as the engine that drives our existence or more fully he says the heart is the fulcrum of your most fundamental longings a visceral subconscious orientation to the world which all sounds a bit mysterious, but in simpler terms, he means that the, the heart controls that which you most desire or long for in the world. And I know we rational, post-enlightenment people believe that our minds are really mission control and that our decision-making is very rational and logical. It's actually our hearts that are mission control. So the Anglican prayer will say, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. And, and you want to say, don't you mean the thoughts of the minds? No, 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 it's the thoughts of the hearts. Because our hearts are mission control. And they're not usually all that logical. Uh, James Smith says they're visceral, which means they relate to kind of deep inward feelings rather than our intellects as such. And what's more, they're usually functioning at a subconscious level, like in the background, like your phone's operating system, which means we're not often consciously controlling them. Mostly, they're controlling us. So that's what the Bible means when it talks about the heart. 
And I think it becomes apparent why the question of why the heart is important is such a pressing question. The greatest commandment, uh, according to Jesus, as Kelsey just read to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And yet our hearts are these visceral, subconscious operating systems that we're barely able to explain and articulate. So, wow, interesting project we've got in front of us to try to orient our hearts towards the love of God. And yet that is precisely what Jesus has commanded us to do in the greatest command. He is asking us to orient our hearts, these wayward vessels, so that they're in alignment with God and God's loves to maneuver our wants and desires. So they're running in parallel with God's wants and desires for us so that he becomes our all in all, so that we really do love him. We're, we're enthralled with him, as we heard about last week. We're captivated by his person, and by his purpose in the universe, and even his purposes for our little lives, to somehow be more enthusiastic about knowing God than our upcoming trip to Italy or to Disneyland or to want to see Jesus even more than we want to see our children grow up and get married or whatever it might be for you. To work for the kingdom of God rather than to merely build our own kingdom or feather our own nests. And you see, to be able to do that, to love God, to want to see him more, to know him better, be more enthused, enthralled, captivated by him. That's actually good for us. Well, of course it is. As Nathan showed us last week, it's good for us when we live our lives in alignment with the Creator's intentions. It's not good for us when our hearts go astray and we burden our wealth, our achievements and successes, our pleasures and pastimes, our family and our friendships, our place in the sun in Magnificent Manly with the burden of fulfilling our deepest longings because none of those things, as lovely as each of them are, has the ability to bear the weight of our heart's aching craves. They're good, but they're not strong enough. St. Augustine famously said of God, God, you have made us for yourself And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. (laughs) So God has put this wonderfully mysterious but very wayward thing called a heart inside us all. It was made for him and it will only find its rest when it finds him, when he becomes our all in all. And that's, friends, why it's so important to understand what's going on in there and to attempt to align our hearts with the will and the pleasure of God. But just to add some further spice into the whole enterprise, we have to remember that the aligning of our hearts to God is an inner work. Our hearts can't be tricked by us just imposing external rules and regulations. You see, whatever whatever is going to do the work is going to have to do it at that deep, cellular level and external restraints won't be enough one day when um carol and my wife and i were living in england we were walking down the high street of some town somewhere in england a lady came up to us and says do you want to win a holiday to spain i'm like who wouldn't uh and for a chance to win all i had to do was write down in 25 words or less 
what I loved about travel or why I should win the holiday or whatever it was, can't remember. As it turns out, I won. As it turns out, everybody who supplied their address in this competition also won. As it turns out, our free holidays to Spain was conditional upon a three-hour drinks uh, session at the resort, which included a personal presentation about investing in timeshare there. Now, we thought to ourselves, look, an afternoon sales pitch for a week in the sun still felt like a really good deal, especially in, in, in the depths of an English winter. But we did notice in the fine print, uh, it said the offer was only open to British residents or citizens. Now, we figured that they wouldn't care about that if they thought they could still sign us up. But it was a risk nonetheless, so we came up with a plan. Carolyn would do the talking because she had developed a lovely little English lilt. And I would take a back seat and say as little as possible. So they wouldn't find out we weren't Brits. I'm not joking or exaggerating. In the first minute in the personal interview, we meet the saleswoman and all I say is hello and she says, you're Australian, aren't you? (laughs) It's not like I said, g'day love. I just rode here, I'm a pet emu in my budgie smugglers and by gosh, by golly, by crikey, by the rivers of Babylon, hell of a ride. Like a tiny word, you know, barely two syllables. And it came out can't hide it, you can't fake it, I am Australian to the core and it will come out. Now, you know, that, that is exactly the same with our hearts, right? You might remember in Matthew 15, the Pharisees very unhappy that Jesus and his disciples didn't do the ritual ceremonial kind of hand-washing thing before they ate. And Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth because you've got unclean hands. That doesn't make you unclean, it, it's what comes from the heart that makes you unclean. I mean, stuff will come out of your mouth, it'll find expression through your hands or whatever, but it comes from the heart and it's going to give you away. If your heart needs renovation or alignment or indexing to God, that work needs to be done at the heart level, not by just uh, external regulation keeping. There is an inner work to be done and really is a work of God by His Holy Spirit because of all that Jesus has done for us. And it can't be done from the outside in, and it can't be faked. And so um, thirdly today, the the question is, well, how do we do the inner work? How how do we tame, how do we train, how do we direct or reorient this wayward organ of ours, especially when we're unaware of what direction it's pointing in most of the time? The Apostle Paul says to a young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Tim, For physical training is of some value, but godliness, training for godliness really, has value for all things. It holds promise for this life and the life to come. And so we know what the heart is, and we know why the heart is important. The last question is, how do we train it? And friends, that's where the godly habits or the spiritual disciplines or the Christian practices, whatever you want to call them, that's where they come to the fore. Because if it was just a matter of training the mind, if we were merely brains on a stick, then education and information would be all that's required. We could teach ourselves, teach one another to love God. Now, I I do want to say there is an element of that in this series, in Jesus' command, because he does instruct us to love the Lord our gods with all our minds. And I, I reckon most Anglican churches, they're really good at loving God with all their minds and might neglect other parts. I think, if anything, we have the reverse kind of emphasis. And it will be a stretch for us 
to love the Lord our God with all our minds. So we will need to give attention to that in the coming weeks. But because Jesus' command is all-encompassing, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, with all that you have, with all that you are, all the time. It's going to need more than just education, you know, a, a, a program of information transfer. And particularly because our heart is this restless, visceral, subconscious orientation to the world, we'll need to train it by doing as well as by learning, or perhaps the doing is part of the learning. We'll want to develop practices or habits that take effort at the start, but then become automatic or even automated over time. Because if you think about it, that's what a habit is. It's, it's a behavior that occurs automatically over and over and usually subconsciously. You think about your daily life, from when you first get up to when you go to bed, much of the action that you take on a daily basis is the result of habits rather than your deliberate choices, which means our pattern of habits have this profound influence over our schedules, what we do with the minutes and hours and days, which really means what we do with our lives. Our habits form our hearts and shape our lives, usually automatically and unconsciously. So, of course, you want to choose and develop and be immersed in good habits. In fact, we want to choose and develop and be immersed in godly habits because as you gather, they form us as much as we form them. So, as a staff team, with the help of volunteers, we've chosen seven habit areas that we're going to hear about over the rest of the term as we continue to unpack these two great commands of Jesus. And if you're in a growth group, you will be discussing them together. And if you're not in a growth group, I would encourage you to download a copy from the website there. You just go on the website, it's on the resources page of our website, read them for yourself. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of these booklets printed out at the back. I'm really trying to say there's no way you can get out of it. And you go, I hate reading. No worries. I've actually recorded them into an audio file, <laughs> each chapter. So you've effectively got an audio book, which means part of my parting gift to the good folks at St. Matthews, you can each experience what my family experiences every day, me talking at them. I recommend playing it at 1.5 speed. But in all seriousness, we've chosen seven habit areas that we think will be the most useful and effective in loving God and following Jesus in 21st century Northern Beaches life. Here they are. Prayer, scripture, Sabbath, friendship, hospitality, generosity, and technology. Uh, I mean, you even look at those and you go, well, they're not really habits as such. They're kind of habit areas. And with each, within each habit area, there are a number of different practices that you can try and experiment with and you can give it a go. Well, um, rather than me talking about them, let's hear from some of the staff team about some of the practices that they have given a go. Ooh. So one of the spiritual practices that I tried um, from the Godly Habits booklet was around the idea of friendship. And it was to have an hour conversation with the same person once a week. And so I phoned up a friend that I don't get to talk to all that often. And I said... I was very open and transparent about it. I said, um, I want to put the spiritual practice in place. I want to have a chat with you every week 
for an hour on the phone because it's often hard to meet face to face. Um, and would you be up for it? And she luckily agreed. And so once a week, we've got a little time slot where we chat to each other on the phone for an hour. So always an hour, around about 45 minutes to an hour. And it has been three months now that we've been doing it. And um, only for a few weeks here and there haven't we managed to catch up, but mostly we have. And I could just highly recommend it. Uh, we've really been a part of each other's spiritual walk journey. We've shared prayer points. We've been able to follow up how things have been going. Um, and it's just had a massive impact on me. And she has shared that it has a massive impact on her as well. Something I tried was the Glorify app. So I have the Glorify app on my phone and I love it to be the first thing that I do when I wake up each morning. It gives us a, a Bible verse and then it goes into that Bible verse a little bit deeper and it finishes with a reflection. There's a whole lot to do in the Glorify app. Highly recommend it and I've been listening to that every day. It really works for me. So one of the things I tried doing was uh, wanting to be more persistent with my prayer life. Um, and so I decided to choose three things um, that I wanted to pray through uh, over a period of time and, and pray for them every day. Uh, so one was about myself, one was about my family, and one was about us here at St. Matt's. And so I picked those three things uh, and then I, I got my... Apple Watch and I set uh, an alarm, three alarms actually, um, throughout the day, one at 9, one at 12 and one at 8 o'clock at night uh, and the alarm just goes off and that's my cue to stop what I'm doing and to pray through those three things. Got into a rhythm, into the habit of, of doing it. Um, there were times where I wasn't able to stop what I was doing um, and so you know I might not have prayed in that spot. And sometimes the prayers were not particularly profound, uh, but uh, even just a line or two to be able to shoot that up to the Lord um, was reinforcing to myself the importance of praying throughout the day. So a few years ago, my lovely friend Ning told me about how she was writing out passages of the Bible. And um, I think it was last year, Nathan, told us how he was writing out parts of the Bible. So when it came to godly habits, I thought, I'm going to give it a go. Um, so I uh, focused on uh, New Testament, the Gospels, and I, I really enjoyed it. I found it was a great way to reflect on um, uh, the Word. Um, but particularly when I got to um, the stories of the death and resurrection of Christ and I found it impacted me more than the story of the resurrection ever had. You really slow down when you're writing it and plus you, it goes through your mind a few times. You're reading it, you're writing it, you're rereading it. Uh, really made, made me slow down and reflect on the word a lot more. So there you go, some nice little stories that I imagine are doable for all of us. And look, I would encourage you not just to look at that and go, ah, it worked for them, that's nice. But I'd, I'd encourage you to give it a go. There's no point in us just talking about practices. At the end of the day, practices need to be practiced, don't they? Especially if they're going to become godly habits that automatically and subconsciously calibrate and align our hearts back towards the love of God and following 
his wonderful son, Jesus. And so I really would encourage you to have a go at immersing yourself in practices, in developing habits in the areas of prayer, scripture, Sabbath, friendship, hospitality, generosity, and technology, because I would love you to be able to love God with all of your heart and all that you have all the time, because I would love your heart to find its rest in him, whom we were all made for. Well, lastly, you might sense a tension between God's grace and human effort as we're talking about godly habits and training our hearts. You, you, you might feel unease about a program of habits that we're introducing this term in case it becomes a new set of laws. You know, another sanctified code of regulations, just another yoke around the believer's neck. And you might be going, Scott, so let me get it straight. You think we're saved by grace, but then we grow by works, our efforts in the area of habits. And I would say, you know, there is a potential for that to happen. Not good. There is a potential for that to happen if godly habits aren't grounded in a work of God in renewing our hearts. Sure. If you make it all about you, I, I guess so. And of course, I could say, you know, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. And if I was being cheeky, it happens every now and again. I could say, Christian disciplines sound like the things Christian disciples would do. Hmm. But maybe a better way of explaining it as we finish is to go back to Nathan's garden from last week. Actually, um, we'll go to mine this week, and that's not mine, it's just a silly picture. Um, but mine is looking pretty good these days, if I'm allowed to say that. The front hedge is nicely clipped. Uh, it's just high enough to mostly hide the bus shelter in front. The edges are neat and sharp. The back hedge has gradually grown over the nine years we've been there. So now that my neighbour and I, we stare quizzically at each other from our kitchen windows underneath a perfectly clipped back hedge. So um, don't tell the wardens, but I've actually lopped the top of three of the lily pillies that are strategically positioned. And they've started to sprout prolifically already so that by next summer, um, once again, they'll offer privacy and the frangipanis are flowering abundantly and they spread their pretty fragrance and drop their crisp cream petals all around. Like it's not quite the Garden of Eden, you know, but I like it. And uh, I've actually grown to love it. But it hasn't always like looked good. Um, the front hedge was overgrown and overhanging and the lawn was a bit weedy and there weren't many frangipanis and so it's taken work, it really has. Um, pulling weeds and planting trees and laying turf and getting sweaty and scratched and little spider bites. But of course, the plain and obvious truth is that I cannot make a leaf grow. I can't make a single blade of grass, not one crisp cream petal grow. So how do you reconcile those two ideas? My garden has taken work, like years of sweat to the point where I feel something towards I'm going to miss it when I leave. And yet I cannot make a single leaf grow. Well, I have to conclude that it's something of a partnership. There's the, it's the product of a force that's entirely beyond my control. And it's the product of attention. I mean, it's amateur attention, but attention nonetheless. It, can't, it cannot flourish without the sun and the rain, and I've got no control over that. 
but it will also respond to my sweat and intention. And I know that if I pay it no attention, it won't necessarily die out, and yet it won't thrive. But if I tend to the garden, it will respond. And friends, that, as we finish, seems like a really apt metaphor for a flourishing relationship with God, in which our hearts slowly bend towards Him, steadily towards becoming enthralled with Him, although we know that our progress is not always in a straight line. It does seem to me that there are so many forces from within ourselves, not to mention those from outside of ourselves, to assume that the love of God will just happen by chance. It won't. And so perhaps think of the godly habits, these spiritual discipline, these Christian practices, as the sweat that we're willing to invest. As God's Spirit, you know, that great force beyond our control, makes us grow, aids our flourishing, trims, prunes, and shapes our hearts so that we love God deeply, so that we love Him with all our hearts, these strange engines of our existence, so that these restless, wayward, visceral things find their rest. They're all in all in Him who we were made for. Well, let's pray together as we finish. Heavenly Father, God, we recognize that you've put within us a heart. A beautiful thing with, a, with immense capacity to love, but a strange propensity to go astray as well. So forgive us for letting it wander to all sorts of odd places in the vain hope that they will fulfill its deepest longings and bend and direct our hearts to love you. And that we recognize that godly habits might be a part of that. So help us to give ourselves to them. But we pray that it might be your grace in operation. So that we love you with all that we have. With all that we've got. All the time. In Jesus name and for his glory. Amen.